Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the movies well worth watching, even if there are some duds along the way. Combining questions, trivia and games, every episode we're challenged to watch a piece of film history to decide whether it deserves to be remembered for all time in our movie vault. With every film chosen in our previous episode, it's the perfect way to watch and discuss along at home. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a snippet of what to expect in today's episode. There's a beautiful ambiguity to this movie at the end. Um, and I think modern film viewers, God, I'm generalising. I'm really bashing modern film viewers today. Nah, screw them, they're dicks. <laughs> <laughs> You're all they're, awful. You suck. They're all Amy Schumer's. <laughs> all right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Are you not Oh, hi, Mark. Well, good movies. Hello, and welcome to Well, Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the movies well worth watching, even if there are some duds along the way. I'm your host, David Osger, and I am joined by the sensei of facts and challenges, Craig McDonald. Hello, Craig. Hello, my son. <laughs> Just as well, you were like teaching me Japanese earlier. I can understand that a bit more now. I said my son. What do you not understand about familial relationships? Uh, well, you said San earlier, so that's what's confusing yeah, me. That, that implies that I respect you. <laughs> None of that here. Uh, so as we alluded to there, Craig, we talk about movies well worth watching despite duds along the way. So just to tease the audience at home, do you think today's movie is a dud or well worth watching? Oh, it's definitely well worth watching. Awesome. Well, uh, can't wait to talk about it. It was a fun episode last time and it's going to be another fun one today as we're talking about anime again. So can you catch us up on the previous episode and how we got to talk about today's film? So last week we ended up discussing Akira and we talked about a lot about the legacy uh, of that film as well as various attempts uh, for Japanese media to come over to the West. So with the end game, I tried to bring uh, the West to Japan talking about the film's often get rebranded over in Japan with hilarious consequence names such as Napoleon Dynamite becoming Busman, as an example. Uh, in the end, uh, one of our guests, uh, Steph Lorakis, was the uh, winner of that endgame, uh, and they decided to continue the anime train looking at specifically one of the most successful films to come out of Japan with your name. Your name? <laughs> don't, David. Don't, 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 make, don't make this a thing. <laughs> Okay, cool. Well, uh, yeah, the awkward silence there when you're just like, <laughs> I can't make the joke. What do I do? <laughs> well, we look forward to discussing your name from 2016 and undertaking our usual task of deciding whether it goes into the movie vault, our vault of movies that celebrates chosen films for all time. But before all of that, we have a new guest joining us today on Well Good Movies to talk with us all about your name. No, you're not, Craig. I'm just talking about the film. <laughs> yeah, get on with it. <laughs> so, yes, talking to us today is writer of articles, novels, and screenplays, Sarah Cook. Hello, Sarah. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's uh, great to have you, Sarah. Um, thank you for joining us. Uh, so, please tell us about yourself. What is it you do? What is your links to the world of uh, film and movies? Ah, well, um, I've been a marketing manager in for film companies, cinemas, for about six years and now I'm currently working in the UK Jewish Film Festival doing their digital marketing um, and I've been writing about film for about eight years and I try and write and make films uh, in my spare time so I basically live in a world of film. <laughs> yeah that's always the fun thing with uh, sort of film creatives or film journalists there's always that overlap isn't it so it's it's never quite one thing which is always fun as well especially when you're talking about them reviewing them you know, you've got that knowledge because you can say, well, I've made them as well. So I know how difficult this is or, you know, <laughs> what challenges you come across, etc. So what are some of the examples of some of the stuff that you, you know, you write or that you work on? Um, I think genuinely writing is when you get in, start writing films, you kind of think that your first draft is going to be like the one. I and mean, actually it takes like a hundred drafts. I mean, there's never like a finished screenplay, I think, is the, the big takeaway. 
Um, and it's always constantly. I once had an argument with an actor because she wanted everything like really precise. And I was like, there is never a finished screenplay. It always constantly changes because things happen on sets, things happen with budgets. So I think that's, I'm always more more lenient to when there's production problems because it's always constantly changing. Yeah, I guess it comes down to the whole, you know, the film comes together in the editing room idea as well, isn't it? It's that that's when the film is kind of really created. And when you look at deleted scenes or original scripts, you're like, wow, that that's so different to the end product. But yeah, I definitely know what you mean in terms of, you know, like I always enjoy it when actors are able to sort of like sort of riff on set or just do variations. When you hear about the actors who do it exactly the same way every time, I get a bit spooked by it and be like, oh, I'm not sure if I would enjoy that. But, you know, if they're a big Hollywood actor, then I'm like, I probably wouldn't say anything about it because it's obviously, you know, Marlon Brando, whoever it is. But yeah, I think I would approach, you know, appreciate the more sort of like changing it up approach. But um, what about uh, your sort of like journalistic sort of writing? Obviously you do things for places like film stories and, so reviews or stuff, what what kind of stuff are you worked on in that respect? Yeah, so I do a column at Film Stories that looks at old movies in particular, um, really old movies um, from silent films in the pre-code era. Uh, I'm really big on my uh, pre-code Hollywood, which is a, a time between 1929 and 1934, where they weren't enforcing censorship as much as they did after 1934. Um, so the films really look at social issues. They, they're anti-war, they're, they deal with alcoholism, they deal with depression and they're risque, they're sexy. Um, and they've got these really like headstrong women and well-written characters. Um, so I write, tend to write all about that kind of period in cinema, as well as like the really classic 1890s (laughs) silent films that I love, um, because the Victorians invented cinema and I love the Victorians as well. (laughs) It's uh yeah, it's kind of unfortunate to think of it in that way as well, isn't it? Of being like, oh, you know, they were really like cutting edge. They had great female characters as if then like, oh, that censorship changed all of that. And it's like, oh, you know, so. Really yeah, amazing. it's always the case with cinema that they do, they get really progressive and they get really like, you know, they send messages and then moralists come in mm. <laughs> and they're like, oh no, we can't be showing alcohol on mm. screen and we've got to put the couples in two separate beds. Yeah. But to sort of get an idea of like, you know, some of your favorite films then um, and what kind of cinema you enjoy. You know, we have here the movie vault where we saw preserve movies for all time. Uh, So, Sarah, if you were to put in one of your favorite films into the movie vault, uh, what is the movie you would choose? It would be Ruben Mamoulian's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde from 1931. Um, Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, one of the best pre-code horrors, if not horror of all time, um, starring Frederick March. Um, I don't really need to tell you what the story is about, right? Because it's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. But um, I would advise to seek it out. It's a very inventive and very, it's kind of the quintessential, I think it's the quintessential depiction on cinema of Robert Louis Stevenson's tale um, and really tackles the kind of repression of the Victorian society that kinds of births Hyde and Frederick March won the Academy Award for it uh, and he's my favourite actor so yeah I would slip that in I, I always tell people that's the one they want to get into pre-code that's the one they should start watching. Nice have you had the chance to talk about it in your column at all? Yes uh, many times <laughs> uh, there is a whole if you finish my column there's a whole piece dedicated to Jekyll and Hyde there's also a whole piece dedicated to as many Jekyll and Hyde adaptations as possible because I'm a huge Jekyll and Hyde fan uh I I've seen about 30 versions of the tale in on screen um and I also really love the musical by Frank Wildhorn and I really love the story um and I have a cat called Jekyll so uh if you do want to mosey on down the world of Jekyll and Hyde then I do have lots of columns about that so yeah and let's go on to our main discussion today then and today's film which as we mentioned at the top is Your Name from 2016 uh, original t- title Kimi no Nawa. Uh, it is obviously a Japanese anime And uh, this follows two strangers who find themselves linked in a bizarre way. When a connection forms, will distance be the only thing to keep them apart? (laughs) 
it's almost I'm teasing the audience there. If you haven't watched it, go go find out. <laughs> um, so this is directed by Makoto Shinkai, and uh, he also wrote uh, the film. And it's based uh, slightly off like a novel, which was released uh, sort of coinciding with the film's release. In this, in terms of cast, we got uh, Rion Suke Kamiki as uh, Taki. You got Mon Kamishirashi <laughs> as uh, Mitsua. Uh, Rio Narita as Katsuhiko, <laughs> Ai Yuki as Sayaka, <laughs> and this is the moment in which Craig like lambasts me for all of those names. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, Steph, buddy, if you're listening, if you thought my Japanese was bad, which it wasn't, it was great. What on earth was that? <laughs> <laughs> he practiced this with me after earlier. He asked me for pronunciations. I gave them. I went one by one then. I was like going there and I was like... I you went I, proper like British tourist on yeah. it. It's like, uh, well, <laughs> Can you tell no. me where this is, please? <laughs> yeah, I'm like essentially when you go to the Italian restaurant and I like point at something like, I'll have that. And they're like, oh yes, the da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, this is um, a very famous anime as we discussed uh, last time uh, we were talking about Akira. This is another one that sort of shows up a lot in your kind of like top 10 animes, um, you know, great anime or animated films from the past sort of 10 years. Very striking visuals. The poster to me has always stood out, but this was a first watch for me. Um, I know it was the same for Craig. Uh, so when Stefanos mentioned it last week, it was a great chance for us to kind of like go discover this film. Uh, but Sarah, you would you would sort of experience this film before and, and it's actually one of your favorites. So what what's your experience with uh, Your Name? Oh, I, I kind of like, so when I first watched Your Name, I watched it in this pokey screening room at the bottom of this hotel in London where if this guy moved, I wouldn't have seen any of the, the subtitles and I fell in love with it. Like even from the, the opening... <laughs> Uh, it's got quite a boisterous opening, I think, for what end that happens in the in the movie. But then I watched it in the IMAX, <laughs> oh, wow. um, and I've never been the same since. I guess uh, it's a, just a beautiful, wonderfully made animated film that has so many twists and turns, and you, you won't be able to guess them um, at, at the beginning. And it's just, yeah, I love this film, um, and I talk about this all the time. Yeah, it's gorgeous. <laughs> so is it is it one that you sort of recommend a lot when people sort of say about anime or is it just generally when animation comes up, as you were saying there? Not even just anime, just in general of good films that have come out recently um, in the in the past, what, six years, mm. six, five years. Um, but yeah, obviously anime is probably the, the one that I'd go to. Do you know when you're trying to talk about anime, but you're not trying to talk about Studio Ghibli? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> everyone's like, oh, there's Ghibli. It's like, yeah, but there's other animes. And you're like, Your Name, for example. Um, it, in When it came out over here, it was generally probably top top two, top three films of that year. Um, just because it, the story and this animation alone is, is just god level god i can't talk very gushing about this film uh it's yeah i will recommend this all the time um especially if people want to get into anime and it kind of has that kind of live actiony feel to it as well yeah i think and that's where we've been lucky as well is that we've had so many favorites and big films come up recently is there a lot you know we've had a lot of these films that people have you know got these great connections with and have been favorites for years uh, which is, you know, really fascinating. And yeah, definitely, as you said, the visuals were one that stood out to me, but also something that was mentioned in the last episode, as much as Akira is kind of this crazy, mad science fiction film, that there is that side of anime. And because there's the subgenres of anime, you can have all different types, whether it be within the television space or whether it be in films. You know, it's something that I've appreciated when I have watched, you know, the likes of Studio Ghibli or other studios is that there can be that kind of more live action approach to it in that they're, they're more calm, gentle drama kind of stories, which are just happen to be told in animation. And I think that mm. that's what, again, we were talking about earlier with horror and some of your more original films, you know, it, it's refreshing in that sense. Even if you're an anim uh, animation fan, if you're very used to American animation, then you know, go into anime, it's it's a completely different sort of like approach to it almost. And there's so many conventions of animation which are just not used at all. And that's why I found especially, you know, watching this, I was like, 
wow, I, I really found anime fascinating. As much as I don't like go to it like all the time, when I do go to it, I absolutely love it because it's you're just jumping into such a different world and such a different approach. It's kind of like going to another country almost in that you're sort of seeing this different stylistic approach. Whereas I think other foreign cinemas, sometimes you're like, okay, well, you know, they've got their approach, but there's still a lot of similarities, which I think the anime has just such a different style and feel to it, which is definitely evident in this film. Absolutely. And it also brings in, as you we were talking about horror and how that's um, mis- misaligned. And I think animation is misaligned as well, especially in our Western Western culture, because people sort of dismiss it as a kid's art form. And they did that a lot at the Oscars. Um, they, all the jokes about animation were uh, films that they could just sit their kids in front of. And in that, in the category that was nominated for Best Animation, included a documentary about a man fleeing war-torn country. And you're like, you wouldn't put your kids in front of that. And like, uh, I think anime is a, is a good example of films that, are, even though they're animation, they are made for a, an adult audience and a more mature audience. Um, and they are treated with the same respect as a live action film would. Yeah, that uh, that Oscars controversy has definitely come up a few times now. With uh, with uh, we've had so much focus on animation recently, isn't it? It it just hurts even more every time. Like, oh, <laughs> especially considering when you think of some of the people who made the comments, and it's just like, it'd be nice if you made something decent before you criticize <laughs> things as being for kids. That's <laughs> right. not having quality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just it it. Even even the films that are kind of geared towards kids, even dismissing it as just kids stuff fodder, is disrespectful to like to to the animators at Pixar and Disney, who like in Encanto, which won this year, is still a still a an, an impressive layered film that even though it it tracks the kids with the colors and the sound it's got this message about generational trauma and like one of the characters gets beheaded by a machete if you watch it quite if you're an adult watching it obviously not graphically but off camera like gets brutally murdered and it's all about the grief and generational trauma and that's not kid stuff like they can listen to the songs and be like yeah the family magical but again and it dismisses thousands of animators that work on this film and i think that's what's fascinating with anime is that again it's that approach and even though it it is easy to kind of go to ghibli often but i suppose it's the same way as we go to disney when we're talking about animation so much of like lion king etc but you yeah. see it in sort of things like your name as well. And I think when I think of it in my head, I find it hard to kind of go like, oh, yeah, that, you know, potential children's film, your name, because I don't think there's anything really in there which you'd go like, oh, yeah, you you know, you, a child could quite happily enjoy this. I think as we mentioned at the top, you know, this is maybe more your teenagers, your adults, etc., which would enjoy it. But I think it still has an element here which kind of works and what I think a lot of Japanese filmmakers have said that they want in their animated films like Miyazaki is that they want to treat children and viewers with respect and kind of show them the kind of like wonders of the natural world. I think they've kind of done it with maybe their Ghibli land or world, whatever they're calling it, the theme park they're opening in Japan. It's not about roller coasters. It's not about, you know, there's no like uh, big attractions there there's no like kind of like merry-go-round or anything it's just like sets and like you get to go around a park and you get to go like inside a temple because they're like well that's what the ghibli experience is and you kind of feel that here again it's that anime aspect of like detail the attention to detail seeing you know like just houses and parks and it embraces japanese culture so much and i think that that's where you can tell when anime is kind of treating its viewers with respect by saying that like this is the feeling you get when you you know you're by the ocean this is the feeling you get when you're kind of waking up in the morning like this one very much reminded me of those playlists you get on youtube which are often like chill out sort of playlists and they've got like a a girl there with a cat at the desk and that kind of stuff it's like this these are the kind of films that like inspire that almost i feel yeah absolutely i i agree there are some there's some things in this film that just take me back to being a teenager um, in a small town and finding like a little bit of forest that you and your mates can hang out with and eat snacks and listen to music. I was going to say, which particular shot in IMAX did you find particularly 
striking because obviously i imagine that's going to have a distinct difference in the experience oh that's a good question but it's, it's going to be the most obvious answer here right i mean it's that's also fine yeah obviously i was i was hoping it would be the comments because i think <laughs> it's, it's the comet and every time you see it it's just so breathtaking but also the bit in the mountain mm. the 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 mountain edge when they finally meet and have that conversation that whole moment and then yeah um and i also but i also find the animation in tokyo so stunning and so like kind of like <laughs> so realistic even though it's animation i always i love the kind of the contrast between this busyness of tokyo and then the small town that she lives in as well but the comet the comet's really special like yeah. when you see it on a what 100 foot screen oh it's so such good. A, it looks like such a simple shot but in practicality it's it's amazing how much detail they would have had to have put into it every single uh every single aspect of just making it look because obviously that's going to be in some way uh, computer generated, but making actually blend in seamlessly with the rest of the environment, which is 2D. It's just gorgeous. But also I think the other shot I would want to point out, I think as well, just even though it is tonally drastically different from everything else in the film, uh, it's when he's he's basically psychologically being sent back um, essentially in time and basically you get all of the sort of usual trippy visuals I think they did it in a particularly unique way for this film, just because a lot of the sort of lighter colors, sort of like purples and pinks, which you don't usually see with that sort of trippy sequence, which was a nice touch. And I, I kind of respect the, again, with the comet as well, is that it, it's not like you might see with other animations in which you're like, oh, that looks cool. Or that takes over like the entire kind of film in that, oh, it's like clearly that's CGI and this is 2D, you know, it doesn't match. I think that what works very well with the comet is that they make sure that the backgrounds and the characters and the settings all kind of blend in and, and match in that sense that everything looks vivid and amazing, not just the comet. And I think that that's what's cool about they've put so much attention to detail in all of the other landscapes and everything else that you see, you kind of get the feeling of like the crispness of the grass, the kind of like, you know, dew on the leaves, the house that they're in. And it's a, you know, a, a traditional thing with animation in general but especially anime like the food it always looks delicious as well yeah yeah i was just about to say some of my favorite scenes are when they're eating and um, i think there's a scene with um her and her sister um and i really 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 sticks in my mind because they're doing that traditional they're weaving and eating and it just feels very just well thought out kind of mise-en-scene kind of moment where you get to know them a little bit better and then you get to see their culture a little bit better and also the delicious food, which is insane. Like the, the, the animated food is just, in anime, gorgeous. Always looks so much better than actual food that will ever exist. I know, I know. And, you know, and you try and replicate it, it's just never, never the same. Yeah. No, definitely it's not. more jealous of anime characters than when they're eating food. <laughs> especially with Japanese foods, because I suppose there's a kind of like alien foreign nature to it of like, oh, what is this? Like, you know, a, a rice is like the, do-, do they call them like donuts over there? Or is that no, they po- don't call them po- donuts. That's what Pokemon does. They call them donuts. Whether well, they actually like rice cakes or something. They're essentially rice- just right ball- rice balls, but they do have a specific name. I cannot remember off the top of my head what that name is. But there's even those, they look amazing and they're in this film. And I'm like, oh, yeah. they always look really nice. But from what I've read or know, it's just, it's just boiled rice with like you know some whatever like middle it's nothing like fantastic but they always look so nice in animes but yeah i made the mistake of what pokemon taught me as a child which was those are donuts <laughs> <laughs> it's eggs eggs any mm. eggs in anime looks so divine and every time i make eggs i'm like this is not the same yeah anime. Anime and, me and my friend uh once tried what we called a dish i think when we were in school and we were like in between uh well, might have been like an easter holidays or something like that we made uh ponyo noodles which is essentially trying to recreate the noodles and ham and eggs and stuff that they make in that uh ghibli film so again similar thing we were like oh yeah we'll just chuck a bunch of noodles with like a broth and put a fried egg in there and stuff like that and again it was the same thing like this this just doesn't look the same but you know effort appreciated but yeah, I think, yeah, the visuals in this are amazing. And yeah, it's it's worth picking up on those specific moments. I'm trying to think if there's one one for myself, apart from like like you guys said with the comet, is, there, is there anything else anyone could think of? 
I guess the sort of we need to discuss the anime intro because it's the sort of thing that made David ask me before this recording happened. Was this inspired from something else? Because that basically came off as traditional sort of anime series opening. Yeah. Yeah. That whole like fade in and crossing over of characters and the whole like back to each other. I was like, oh, wow, this is an actual like television anime turned into a film almost in. But it's not. And I think that, again, that helps, I think, with the escapism of having something different and new. But it also kind of adds to the high school teenage vibes uh, you know and i think as we'll get on to you know with facts and stuff like that it makes a lot of sense in terms of the music i think it helps with the story as well is that again that there's this kind of like fantastical nature to it and there's this like otherworldly element of like what's happening you know wh- why is this body swap sort of thing happening and and the fact that there's like a tragedy sort of like there behind it kind of makes the sort of more vivid clear stuff even more empowering i guess because then you later see when there's the realization of what has happened to the town with the comet, when you see like the close-ups, when he goes to the lake and you see like the broken roads, I think that's a moment in which you can really see how anime can work on the two levels. It's not just like 3D animation, which can be like, wow, look how colorful and amazing that looks. I think that was one bit that really struck me was when it had the close-ups of the broken road and the village also like in the water and everything like that. I was like, even these kind of dark you know, gritty kind of realistic moments really come through because there's a, a realism to it almost, but a, a poetic realism, like in in how visual it is. Yeah, and they really do well. Even though they don't focus on a lot of background characters, you kind of get the community of the town really well that when you find out what ha- what happens to it, it's devastating, not just because of even like her and her family is, is devastating enough, but because they've weaved such a beautiful culture of this town into it that scene when you find out what's happened and he visits it's devastating to find like all that loss of life yeah well that's why i was thinking through this film i'm not sure what your guys experience was in terms of again the first time watching because i kind of got halfway into it and i was like oh this is fun you know because at the beginning i was like right you know body swap sort of thing you know what can be so amazing about this and you know you do i think it shows it's testament how well the you know the film is written and the story and the performances because you are captivated by it you have those fun moments of like you know that again that shows the great animation that they're doing is when uh, she's you know in the boy's body and she saw like you know walking around all sort of scrunched up and her hands held up high and and the characters are acknowledging you know that that's strange they can be a bit more risque, I suppose, with this kind of story, as we said, because it's not, you know, a straight up kids film or anything like that, because there's the moments in the school, etc., when he's, you know, in her body and, you know, he wakes up every morning feeling, feeling her breasts and stuff like that. Um, and he has the moment with the skirt to then have it be like half an hour in. I was like, right, how is this going to go on for like another an hour and 15 minutes? Because I was looking at the time ahead. I was like, I, I don't know how this is going to happen so like you said then that moment where like you realize about the town then you're like whoa this entire film has completely changed it really is a pivotal moment for the film in which you like you really are then more captivated and it it completely changes the entire sort of narrative it's kind of one of those it's like almost like lego movie of like everything is built up to that moment and then it completely changes everything you've seen in a way yeah absolutely yeah really really handles the tonal shift really well like you said it, it's probably why they start with this anime opening anime song like tv show opening because it feels very teenagery very like this is what a boy would do if he was in a girl's body kind of thing and then the tonal shift happens and it just becomes something more yeah you kind of feel like you're in a safe space with it because i even saw some criticisms of people saying that they felt there was like tonally a bit over the place or they felt that there was too much going on um, which I can kind of see there's so much that happens within it. But, you know, then I appreciate the visuals and how they handle all of it so well that I kind of excuse that. I do think they just do it in sections, though, right? I don't think I don't think there's a significant overlap of any of any of the, the tones that they're going for. It's very much sort of establishing the relationship and you get the hints that that something might happen because obviously they're doing incredibly nice things for each other, trying to progress their own lives. Then the shock reveal of, psych, you're three years apart and one of you is dead. Um, and then obviously exploring all of the implications of that. And then you get the chaotic sort of finale of, oh, we have a chance to rectify this. We need to do 
something. So I wouldn't say it's all over the place. I think it, I think it paces itself out actually quite well. But then I often do argue with a lot of critics about their perceptions of, you know, things with films and quality. But this is the, the this is the, um, it's funny that people would mention that because tonal shifts are kind of my favourite thing in films. I really like dark, well, it's why I like dark comedies because uh, the ability to shift between tones, like there's a film called Blind Spotting that shifts in tone pretty much every other scene. It's like jovial and then it's, dark and then it's that kind of thing and even parasite was so beautiful at doing that and going from this outrageous almost like comedy thing to this horror to this comedy horror and it, it you know and um i don't i when people say complain about like the tone was all over the place i'm like what tone do you want <laughs> do you just want the same thing throughout because isn't that what storytelling is that you're going to kind of go through the motions and the emotions and it's going to change and develop rather than i'm going into a comedy that's what i want i mean even the even in the example that was mentioned earlier i think people need to realize that something like the lion king has tremendous tonal shifts you cannot literally have like i just can't wait to be king going straight into an elephant graveyard that is not the same tone well and the the very famous death and then akuna matatas yeah <laughs> hell even like bambi has something like a death of a mother and then goes straight into a scene a couple of years later la, 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 do, 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 do. yeah <laughs> shut up they like their stories to be maybe more detailed and they don't like gaps i think that that's what something i appreciate with this and i think that that's kind of like a Japanese anime approach as well of kind of like you don't have to explain everything you don't have to tell everything like I love that this film just ends the way it does that there's just kind of that moment on the stairs it doesn't have to wrap up everything in a in a in a bow <laughs> or hairband if you want to say it in that way but um <laughs> I think that is the same when they're doing the body swap it's not necessarily like you see every day that they are doing this you kind of get an impression of generally what's happening and the fact that even early on in the film you're kind of confused as to be like she comes into school and they're like oh you were really weird yesterday and you were like wait did, did i miss something in the film what, what, what are they talking about and you're almost living that experience with them and I guess the same thing with the characters. You almost follow her for the first half and then you follow him. So the film purposely kind of like trans, you know, swaps and changes. And I guess it depends if that's your kind of jam. If you were like, nope, I like my films to be like A to B and I want to see everything and I don't want any gaps. It's quite often what I think Patrick Willem says in one of his video essays when he talks about plot holes. A lot of people mistake what a plot hole actually is in which they're like, oh, how did um, Thor get from this place to this place in that film? It's a plot hole. It's like, it's not a plot hole. It's just that they haven't told you the answer or just like they've left it to your imagination. A plot hole would be more like, it just didn't make sense. Like one moment the character said they were going to go here and the script or the editing suggested otherwise. But often people will say plot holes are just things that they just haven't seen or have just been sort of left to our assumption, which is, you know, a, a mistake to make, I think. Yeah, and you're right in saying there's a beautiful ambiguity to this movie at the end. Um, and I think modern film viewers god i'm generalizing i'm really bashing modern film viewers today nah screw them they're dicks (laughs) you're all awful you suck they're all amy schumers (laughs) there is a lot of ambiguity um i know a lot of people who don't like ambiguity at all in their films they have to get they have to be told straight away whereas i love the blissful gray area um sometimes they don't i don't know um hariada's shoplifters (laughs) for example ends on a, a bittersweet grey area where you don't know who she's looking at um, and you don't know what's going to happen to this little girl and it breaks my heart every time I think about it. Um, whereas your name kind of ends in this really loving, bittersweet kind of, they don't really remember each other because um, that's the caveat of their body swap is that they they forget over time. Um, and when they see each other, they kind of know, but they don't know. And then it's that kind of they've reunited but will they ever remember kind of bittersweetness to it which i quite like but yeah there is there is a like you said some people mis misconstrue and i did it myself recently you mentioned that i did it myself yesterday i watched the north man and someone was like what did you think i was like yeah i liked it but i wanted to know how we got from here to here and they're like but they didn't need that and i was like yes i know 
but it's he, but he ends up getting the sword far too easily and it's like but we don't need to know that we just want to see him like fight and and do like badass Norman things and i'm like yeah i get the get the point but sometimes i could be like i want this explained <laughs> to me yeah it depends what you want in the film and what your expectations are so with the northman it's easy to see it as like oh it's this gritty dark historical piece but then it's like oh well the sword stuff is more of the kind of like mythic king arthur stuff of like he just happens to stumble upon it kind of aspect so it depends what expectation you go in with and it's again like with your name it's what we were saying earlier it's that kind of maybe the opening makes people think that they're going to get a more conventional romantic you know anime but um but I think the visuals do really sell that kind of more supernatural element to it, which anime often does, you know, and, you know, the Japanese definitely do love their their big themes and their kind of like science fiction fantasy stuff almost. They're always sort of tying that in in some ways. Not not always, but um but I think here it is kind of like welcome. Yeah. Frankly, I if the film ended with any other line rather than the line they ended on, I would be disappointed. I think it ends beautifully in that regard. That entire film called Your Name literally ends with the question, um, what's your name? Okay, so take those tapes and rewind them again because it's VHS Corner. So we've already talked about the comparisons that people would make if you mention the idea of anime and they talk about, they mention Studio Ghibli. Uh, they might also mention Heo Miyazaki. Um, as being the sort of dominant forces within anime. Well, it's actually nice to know that this was the first anime film not made by either of those institutions to gross 10 billion yen at the Japanese box office. So in US dollars, that would be about 98, that would be about 98 million. And it's also the second highest grossing anime film before it got surpassed in 2020 by Demon Slayer, the movie Mugen Train, which I think is particularly interesting given that that's obviously during COVID times and just... Yeah, you know, those glorious flashbacks. Um, okay, so just to, uh, to talk a little bit then about the director, specifically talking about uh, Makato Shikai. Uh, specifically, there are a couple of uh, references to one of his earlier works uh, throughout this film cons- uh, consistently. So he worked on a previous film called The Garden of Words. And here are the ways in which he decides to directly link his film to that, uh, uh, to that film. So... The, the Italian restaurant where Taki was working uh, is called, um, and this is where I'm going to butcher Italian, so I can't be called a hypocrite, Il, Giardin, uh, uh, Il Giardino del Parole, uh, which is the Italian for the Garden of Words. And also the main character of that film, uh, which is Yukari Yukino, um, ends up being the teacher for Mitsuo's uh, uh, Japanese uh, classical Japanese lessons in school and also apparently her partner appears uh, in a crowd near the end of the film so he's constantly trying to link in those uh, references is this a sign of a Japanese sort of cinematic universe probably not that's me being funny um, we've not mentioned the music too much and I think that what I love about this so- uh, about this film and I often love about anime in general are the beautiful rock insert songs uh, so the insert songs for this film were produced by a Japanese band called Rad Wimps, uh, who worked closely with uh, with Makato Shinkai, uh, both on the script and the story to make sure that they created as much complementary music for it as possible. Um, and the process of them working together led to the initial script actually changing in a number of areas. Um, and finally, I think it's fair to say that this film has had a lot of Positive critical reception, right? So IMDb gives it a score of 8.4 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes currently has it at about 98% for the critics and 94% for the audience. However, there is one person who is very vocal about their, I wouldn't say dislike for the film, but their disappointment in the film. And that actually is the writer-director Makato Shinkai himself. Yeah, he actually thinks that this film is relatively incomplete and imbalanced due to a lot of time and budget constraints. So it's actually interesting to see how much somebody who has put in a lot of love and work into this film and it's generally well accepted by people he still has a lot that he would like like changed about the film and that's everything from vhs corner for this week awesome well thank you craig and yeah it's kind of ironic we kind of have circled back to what we were talking about at the start sarah with 
frightening. It's kind of like it never ends. And I guess with that, it also shows that the filmmaker is, you know, you're never going to be 100 percent happy, are you? And I suppose that's why a lot of filmmakers or actors even will say, oh, I, I don't revisit work. I don't go back. I don't look back, that kind of thing, because they might watch things and go, oh, I wish I did it that way. I wish this was changed. You know, it's it's that kind of ever evolving progress and and frustration i guess with 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 art absolutely i mean even robert eggers just recently came out and said he wished he could have gone back and done something different with the witch i think he wanted he wasn't a big fan of being shooting on digital and wanted it on film and i wanted to have like practical effects mm. um and that's again a film that people consider like a masterpiece so for him to come out and be like yeah i'm not a big fan of it I think, you know, potentially like we were saying about like the overlapping, maybe he feels like at the middle point, maybe he's like, oh, I had to keep the stories more aligned or something. Maybe he doesn't like the fact that it kind of then focuses more on the male character and it kind of slows down in that sense. But, you know, again, I, I guess that, you know, is is then you know, where the, the movie really changes and maybe he wants the, you know, the end to be a bit tighter. I don't know. But yeah, I think, you know, the, the artists themselves is always going to be the, you know, the biggest, you know, critic, which is, you know, in, it definitely interesting. But I think that obviously everyone else can come to it and kind of look at it fresh eyed and go like, oh my God, this is so different. Whereas they're going to have so many things in their head that they went in with and what they wanted and they might have not come out that way. But, you know, it's like what I often say to people, you know, about, you know, people will say like, oh, this film is trash or this is terrible or this, you know, this is amazing or people will come to love this film in years to come, etc. It's like, it's okay to just have like, okay films or, you know, they don't either have to be like amazing or terrible. But also, I think that can come into, you know, why, why you might like a certain film, you know, you might say, well, I love this aspect of it. And even though you can acknowledge it's not a perfect film, there's something in there that really speaks to you or which you just love. Like, oh, I love that action in it. Or I love the visuals in it. So for something like Your Name, it can bring something to somebody that they weren't expecting to see or that they really attached themselves to, which maybe even the filmmaker just didn't intend to have or wasn't really that enthusiastic about. Because when you look at like how he came about this project, I was surprised that he came about in a way of like, oh, there was an earthquake in Japan. And I thought to myself, what if that happened to my town? And I was like, oh, I actually, I, I would have thought about all the story elements and all the kind of aspects to this film. I wouldn't think the kind of disaster element was actually like the the original idea, if, if you know what I mean. Because to me, the kind of, the, the comet and, the, you know, all of that, you know, you would think that that would come from like a piece of art or something. You wouldn't think like, what if this comet came down and destroyed a town? You know, I didn't, I didn't think that would be the original concept of the film. It doesn't seem like this is like the core idea. It seems like everything else around it. To me, the, the town being destroyed, even as beautiful and haunting as that is, is kind of a very small part of the film in a, a lot of ways. It's more about everything that happens around that and all the visuals around that. But yeah, look, I think also like, you know, with the facts and stuff like that as well, you know, what was good there is that, we, you know, we're hearing about it's had such a positive response. I think that definitely goes hand in hand with its legacy and what you talked about there, Sarah, about the fact you got to see it on an IMAX screen, you know, like you wouldn't get just any sort of like animated film uh, put in an, an, an IMAX screen in. Um, but I think also in terms of like the approach that it's taken, I kind of really appreciate it as well is just that, the, you know, the, the character beats and the kind of performances that they go with, the fact that the way the certain characters act like towards the end when you've got like his friends and he's like, oh, don't worry, I'm covering you at work. And when like the sort of girl he fancies at, at work is with him, you can kind of, you know, you instantly like sort of know her character from the interactions that you have with her. She's drawn and sort of dressed in a very specific way um and then like his friend i think at one point when he's like oh he's acting to, uh, different today and like the friend is just like oh i thought they were kind of cute and i was like i kind of like that small touch and that's throughout the film and i think even with characters like the sister the grandmother it's all very like natural approaches to those characters um which i think lends itself with the kind of like focus the film has on like japanese culture and stuff such a shame that because i uh, because I watched this film as it's intended to be watched in terms of the sub. Um, they don't give any, they didn't provide any subs for the lyrics. So I thought they were beautiful and I, under, I understood the tone that they were adding to every scene. I have literally no idea what they were singing. True, true. Uh, Sarah, anything you, you would want to add on like the music or like, the, you know, the, especially the, the rock stuff or the orchestral kind of moments? There, I can't remember which point it is. I think it's halfway through and it's mostly the score around the comet 
and then both looking at the comet and I think that piece of score made me well up alone I think it's so beautifully done yeah I read you and I love but I do love the contrast I always said before that the kind of opening sequence does set that kind of teenagery zone uh zone it's not a tone to it and even the like lack of sound and music sometimes as well um like the moment where again you know major so spoiler but when they do meet and they're like let's write each other's names on our hands and then you just get that like snap and she's gone and the pen falls to the floor they don't you know they they set that up in such an effective way of like you you think oh okay yeah you know what's gonna happen then boom and you're like what and you know like the pen lands and they do that a few times when they have those crossovers of just like it happens and it happens right there for me the most effective use of no music or limited sound as well was just at the end where she was running and just the fall there's so much of that it's just silent and then just like the fudding just that sense of just absolute panic that you get just watching knowing she needs to get away and just going get up yeah, <laughs> yeah. i love the scene the, the whole scene where she's trying to get the, the town the, the kids and they're just like this happens like honestly this is gonna happen and just no one listens to them because they're teenagers that's the last thing i would sort of say though on like the culture and everything and it kind of ties in i think to the legacy um is that i think it does really capture again as other films have um i think the grandmother plays like a really important role here and she is really the the gateway to the kind of like fantasy element and the fact that she is there is the kind of like wise old sage of like describing these uh elements that they're talking about i can't remember exactly the name for it um i don't know if either you guys remember but when she's talking about it's the things that are happening at once and the you know the energies is it miss mushibi i thought it was something with k like kiasi or something like that but when she's describing that and like like you said sarah earlier like when they're going through the forest and stuff all of that is so visual but when she's and she's describing as well i love that when she's talking about why we have to embrace our heritage and like the old ways and kind of like bring that forward and show that to people because you know it can't be forgotten because there's kind of like memories you know which are stored within these processes and i think that that's what's always fascinating in about like anime and japanese culture that they do they they really embrace their kind of their past and they're kind of like you know the, the fact that they got these temples and you know they think about like the legacy of like you know looking after your elders and using these old techniques of like you know eating still with chopsticks and having your kind of like um places to kind of like meditate and to um old crafts you know things like samurai or whatever but in this film they've got the weaving and everything like that all of it feels very like raw and kind of like spiritual and i think that the grandmother character is a great you know symbol of that but it also is a great symbol of like the japanese culture and i think that that's why this film does really strike a chord with a lot of people because they really go wow i want to visit japan i want to go to tokyo etc absolutely and i don't think we've spoken about it enough that it's not just body swapping they swap over time so that's that wonderful kind of correlation. The grandmother talks about the past a lot and keeping a thread for the past. And that's kind of like what connects these two together is that kind of that ribbon sequence and, and things that, that makes these two people swap bodies, not just across the country, but across time as well, which I think is so beautifully done because that could have been really badly mismanaged. Mm. <laughs> I definitely agree, although correct me if I'm wrong, but there's definitely a scene when, you know, when he's having basically all of the flashbacks of memories after he's just drink, uh, drunk in the sake and it shows her being born and there's definitely a snip. And at first I thought that was an umbilical cord and I was like, really? Oh God, please no. But in, in hindsight, I think it was ribbons. An effective way to sort of tell the story with the father and everything. And again, I think there was an element of fantasy, you know, element with the what the mother was saying passing on the power all of that kind of stuff which is is interesting well we'll go on to then uh, the legacy of this film um again by talking um about whether your name uh, from 2016 deserves to be remembered for all time and gain the honor of a place in our movie vault so sarah what do you think should your name uh, be remembered in the movie vault do you think it deserves to go in there and and for what reasons if you if you think it does yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 yes it does i think i like I said, it's culturally significant for uh animated film of recent years that has translated across 
the globe. It's an astonishing, unique story, uh, and it feels just as good and poignant as live action, even more so. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's just wonderful um, and a treat, and it it needs to be visited by all. <laughs> Craig, I think Sarah said yes enough for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I definitely think that it it's visually extraordinary it's you know like i said these type of films fascinate me and i think that as you said earlier as well sarah if it's a good way of saying you know what's another example of anime apart from you know your go-to studios or films then you know this is a fantastic example of that but also a modern movie one from the past few years um, and one that tells quite an interest in weaving and changing stories so uh, and one which has, you know, a lot of heart and important messages at, at the center as well. So, yep, into the movie this week goes Your Name from 2016. We're in the end game now. Oh, it's so annoying. Okay, end game time. So this is a game called Your Name's the Name, End Game's the Game. I'm I'm not sorry. I'm sorry. So basically, I love the concept of your name so much insofar as uh, characters being able to body swap across time and across distance. Now, I decided I was going to play around with the format. So what I've done is I've taken several different movie characters from across films, genres, franchises, and I've basically body swapped. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the sort of POV description of one character, one movie character, who has been put in the body of another character. And from this POV description, I want you to try and guess, fastest first, which two movie characters they are. So basically, which character has been put in the body of whichever character. I want to stress heavily, I've used the, fil- the phrase movie characters, because they might not all be human. Okay. <laughs> I think this is the first time I've described a game and the, the contestants look traumatised. <laughs> Are you okay, Sarah? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna, I just consent to myself failing so badly at this. Don't this worry, is, I am not got a good track record with these either. There's only three scenarios that I've made. So essentially, this is going to be a best of three. As is probably obvious, uh, this is going to be a one-on-one uh, battle between David and Sarah. What you'll be playing for specifically is the idea of which film we discuss next week. So usually it would be a case of the guest will have a choice between mine and David's films. But this time it's completely different. It's a face the host insofar as if David wins, his choice will be the one that we discuss. If Sarah wins, it'll be Sarah's choice. Before we get into the game, I'd like to have a little preview of what you, what films you'll be looking to submit. So David. Uh, so my film, uh, it looks at the idea that we've had in your name of kind of like flipping between sort of different storylines different worlds um elements of the fantastical but then there being a very grim and dark reality to it but it's still in kind of what is expected to be a bright bubbly kind of story um you're also focusing on my film you know like a kind of lead female character this one is from 2015 uh, so still quite modern and yeah, I think just the fact that recently, as as we mentioned, we've had so many like favorites and famous movies to me, especially because this came from um, an animation background. So it's a live action film, uh, but the kind of director is known for animation. This was more of a, you know, a, a failure and, you know, is quite problematic. So I kind of want to get, you know, deep diving into sort of a more failed film and kind of explore what happened. Where did it go wrong Okay, interesting. Sarah, let's hear about yours. So mine's uh, a 1971 film. Um, It blends aspects of um, your name uh, with (laughs) a topic that I spoke very heavily at the beginning with, um, and that's where I'm going to lead you. (laughs) Uh, But that's my hint. I spoke a lot about this kind of sub-genre. Um, and I think this is a perfect balance between that and your name. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Okay, 
So in term, so this is going to be best of three. This is going to be fastest first. To indicate that you have your answer, your answer must include both movie characters. So if you get one of the characters right, but you get the other one wrong, the round will continue until I finished all of the clues. Okay. Uh, to indicate that you wish to answer, and this is why I didn't want David to make the joke earlier, make it confusing. Mm-hmm. I want you to say the words my name okay (laughs) okay so let's test it david my name (laughs) sarah my name fantastic i wouldn't have done that usually it's just he he made me he literally put me into it by psyching me out at the beginning (laughs) okay are we ready for scenario number one hopefully all of these are from the perspective of this person or character has just woken up right Okay, I'm not going to do any accents or anything like that, but I'll do my best to sort of embody character where I can. Oh, hang on, I I don't remember traveling to this place. I, I don't remember getting in the car. Like, usually whenever we go into the future, we're, we're in the car, but I don't... We're somewhere else. Is Doc around? I don't know, I just... Wait, what am I wearing? I... When did I change into pajamas? This weird, weird-looking pajamas. Although nice, it, nice color. Just wish I could find my jacket. Oh, this, this, this vehicle's like nothing I've ever seen. It's so, it's so futuristic. I don't get it. Just, hang on. What's, what's this on my belt? Whoa! I don't, I don't want that. That's that's dangerous. That, that feels My really name. hot. Sarah? Is it Marty McFly and Luke Skywalker? I'm looking for the answers. Is it Marty, Marty McFly and Luke Skywalker? Uh, <laughs> I was like, Marty McFly and Batman? And I was like, but the futuristic <laughs> thing did throw me. Yeah. So yeah, well done. Excellent. So that is one point to Sarah. <gasps> Scenario number two. Oh, where is it? Where is it? I can't let it get to me. I, I need, I need to protect myself. Oh God, where is everyone? Where is everyone? Where's Jonesy? I, hang on. This isn't my voice. This is, I don't know what this accent is. It sounds, it sounds partly Asian, partly European. Also sounds, it sounds like a man's. I, am I? Wait, where am I? This, this, this is a house. This is. Am I home? Did, did my mission end? Did I no longer have to do those missions. Hang on, this, this doesn't look right. Oh, just. No, I can't be home. These are these look like spacesuits. Wait, no. Wait, are they spacesuits? They. No, they look more like fancy dress costumes. Just. Lots of different colors and symbols. Wait, these are superhero costumes, aren't they? They they look like hero costumes. Although there's something that feels like there's missing about them. I don't know. They do, they look so streamlined. They don't look. They don't look expansive. They they seem to be missing fabric. Wait. Also, how short am I? I just, this doesn't make any sense. And those are all the clues. Sarah? Is it Ellen Ripley and Scott Lang? Is it Ripley? Oh. Is it Scott Lang? Mm. Uh. So David, you have a chance here. Oh, so you can have multiple guesses. Uh, I still have to say... Yeah, you would still have to say my name because there's a chance that thinking about it. So think about what do we know so far? They're short. Your name? Uh, My name? I knew you'd screw it up once, David. um, Shang-Chi? It's not Shang-Chi. So they've got a weirdish sounding accent. They're short. 
in their house. They seem to have a lot of superhero costumes, but something's missing. Uh, my name. David. Edna Mode. Yeah. Oh, of course it is. <laughs> no capes. <laughs> Presumably, no you need to say who's going in to get the full point. Uh, oh, so it would be. I'm gonna laugh El- if you get this wrong. Uh, Ellen Ripley going into yeah. Edna mode. Yeah. Okay. So that is a point to David. Oh, could that be split though? Because Sarah did give me that. <laughs> I did. I did say the rules were clear. You uh, had to give me both characters. Okay. So the, the the goal is getting them to be both at the same time. So, so. Uh, I might help you later, Sarah. <laughs> we now come to number three, and this is my personal favorite. I appreciate the sound effects as well. <laughs> I mean, some yeah, sometimes it's necessary. Oh, I... I appear to be sleeping on the floor. That's rather unusual. I... I don't remember having that much to drink with my dinner last night, but... Huh. What's that I can hear? I can... I seem to be able to hear much further than I could before. I just... I see they're discussing some of my... They're discussing one of my finest favourite composers... I wonder if they're discussing his fifth or his ninth. Wait a minute. What's that I can taste? Like, that's, that's, I can taste chicken, beef, and it's not the kind of liver that I had last night. I, wait a minute. This seems to be, this seems to be lots of, lots of brown, black, and white hair on, on the floor. Was this from one of my victims or several or? This can't be from me. It's kind oh, of... my name. Sarah? Is it Hannibal Lecter and Beethoven? The dog. Is it Hannibal Lecter? Ah. Uh. Is it Beethoven? Yes. Oh. <laughs> yep. I genuinely put the mind of Hannibal Lecter into <laughs> Beethoven the dog. It was like... <laughs> Which dog is it? I was like, is it Doug from Up or something? I was just trying to think of famous dogs. I was like, <laughs> and you didn't think of the music reference talking no, about the fifth I, and the ninth. I just thought that was Hannibal being like, you know, I like what a snob. Yeah. <laughs> so with two to three, uh, two to one, that means that Sarah is the winner. Hey! <laughs> Congratulations on winning your first end game, especially considering that you you thought that you didn't weren't going to do well at this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm quite pleased with myself. (laughs) No, it was a fantastic effort. I didn't expect people to instantly get Hannibal Lecter and Beethoven. Yeah, it's interesting. I got Beethoven before I got Hannibal, and I should have gotten (laughs) Hannibal. Hannibal, like, Science of Land is my second favourite film. Yeah. Um, And I should have gotten it uh, when you said liver. Yeah. Uh, But when you said victims, I was like, oh! (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, I think the the liver is... I was thinking... Hannibal before Beethoven definitely yeah I was gonna I was um going to put a Chianti but I thought that might be a bit too obvious so I thought I'd leave it off a bit but so yeah fantastic congratulations on winning this end game so as promised you now get to choose the film that we'll be discussing in the next episode so lead us in what are we in for next week amazing so you're in for a hammer horror film yeah um, <laughs> I have a horror film from 1971 directed by Roy Ward Baker and it revolves around Dr. Henry Jekyll who (laughs) dedicates his life to curing all known illnesses. Um, However, he uh, starts procuring um, his uh, kind of uh, ingredients quite nefariously, um, especially from the women of Whitechapel. Um, And when he injects himself with this uh, concoction, he turns into a beautiful but evil woman. I am going to get you to watch Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. Okay. Interesting. So, yeah, I've just searched up now to see where you could catch it. I guess it's mainly like a rental or like physical media kind of one being from the 70s, which is often the case with the physical media, especially older movies, especially Hammer Horror. (laughs) Awesome. Well, yeah, and that was definitely a, a... trip i enjoyed when uh when i got to talk about dracula and stuff on on the podcast so as soon as you mentioned that i was like is peter cushion in it <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah it's very, yeah very interesting it, it plays fast and loose with the the lore of jekyll and hyde because it blends in historical events such as birth and hair and jack the ripper but it's so it's re- i find it really well done um and obviously it's another gender flip kind of construct before the 
the concept was even trolled about, I guess. Well, the yeah. fact that they're both there as well, I suppose, is, you know, it, it's still the fact that it's kind of like your name in that sense as well, isn't it? So that that's quite a cool connection. Awesome. Yeah. So, uh, well, yeah. So everyone at home, try and uh, find Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde, however you can, whether it be through rental or physical media, uh, online, and uh, join in the conversation with us next time. So watch along at home so uh, you can experience uh, the craziness. Or if you've watched it before, like Sarah, then uh, go revisit it and uh, join us as uh, I'm sure Sarah will be looking forward to what we have in store for our guests and us talking all about it. It's definitely going to be a fun one with that. Yeah, well, uh, thanks, Sarah. That's going to be a fun one in the next uh, episode. So, uh, well, that wraps up this one. Congratulations on your endgame win as well. Um, Can you just tell us as well where uh, the people can find you and more about some of the projects you're working on and where on the socials you are? You can find me at Cookie and Screen on Twitter, Instagram and everywhere uh you can uh write find my articles on film stories um and hey you guys most predominantly um and uh i'll be doing some work for the uk jewish film festival i also write writing a book well i've just finished writing a book um a fiction book so hopefully uh maybe one day you'll get to read a fictional story that i wrote <laughs> that that would be definitely fun that would be a first for the podcast it's been like oh we got like a book that we've got from a we've had um educational material but um but not fictional stories so that'd be a good one to to come from one of our guests so yeah awesome go check out um all of those articles go visit the the royal abba hall as well <laughs> you'd be like i know the person who did the marketing for this <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah absolutely always go visit royal abba hall i love the victorians and that's the proper victorian venue yes awesome uh well uh, thank you again sarah for joining us uh, we hope you can uh, join us again in the future anything uh, lastly from yourself craig I'm sorry, but what is your name? <laughs> What's your name? What's your name? <laughs> it's going to be like the new was up. It's just like, What's your name? What's your name? <laughs> so, okay, awesome. Well, catch uh, Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde for our next one, and uh, we'll catch you in the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Ta ta now. To keep up with the latest episodes of Well Good Movies, you can listen to us on all your usual podcast outlets, including Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and more. Don't forget to follow us, subscribe, and rate us where you can to keep our podcast growing. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Well Good Movies to keep up with the latest news and highlights from all our episodes, as well as tell us what movies you want to be discussed in the future. And if all of that isn't enough, you can also find us at our website, freshtakehub.com slash wellgoodmovies, where you can catch all our episodes along with videos and articles deep diving into the worlds of film and television. So what are you waiting for? Go check out the film we'll be discussing in next time's episode. <laughs>